Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Good morning. Good morning. That was very subdued. We had to redo our intro because Sarah came in hot. She like basically screamed. Good, she screamed good morning. So we had to redo it. Then, then it was very subtle. She was like, good, mo- good morning. Good morning. Uh, how's it going? It's good. Yeah. I got I got a green tea this morning. I went and visited my favorite barista. Oh, nice. Yeah. I left the house without coffee. I'm on coffee again. But uh, I know. But I'm, I feel like I want to roll my eyes every time you're like, I'm off coffee, I'm on coffee, I'm off coffee, I'm on coffee. This I know. is like a relationship that I'm like, we need to talk about some boundaries. Some breaking up. <laughs> I know. I just keep coming, I keep coming back. Yeah. I know. Well, yeah. I'll take it up in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good luck with that. I mean, if that's my biggest problem, right? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, for sure. All right. So should we tell everybody, it's so oh, funny. What? So on our, on our outline for today's episode, we have season four, episode five, and we haven't named it yet, but we have a placeholder what does it say insurance assholes insurance assholes yeah. right which should tell you how we're coming I feel up. like are we gonna have to put an asterisk on this one that there's like bad language in it i mean yeah, we don't cuss yeah. very often yeah. but so anyway i will put something <laughs> we very- reserve these words for the people who really deserve it right 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 <laughs> yeah exactly we'll figure out a pc way to say this but for now it says insurance assholes is the name of this topic so have you ever had an unpleasant run-in with an insurance company totally i think everybody has i mean if you haven't i don't think that you can go through cancer unscathed without having oh uh, it's not even cancer i mean i've been i mean we've all just dealt with this whole concept right Mm -hmm. of a company dictating your care yeah it's rude it's so ridiculous yeah on so many levels so first we're going to talk about the intended role of insurance and the different types and then we're going to talk about how insurance companies are regulated and how they determine your care or our care yep finally we'll close with your options if insurance refuses to cover a cost your provider has deemed clinically necessary but before we do that we are going to hear from our first sponsor Thrivent is a proud sponsor of Faith Through Fire. Thrivent believes money is a tool and not a goal. The Gateway Financial Group with Thrivent is local to the St. Louis area and can work with you to create a financial strategy that reflects your priorities and helps you protect the things that matter to you, like family and giving back. Please call 314-783-4214 to schedule a free consultation with one of Thrivent's Gateway Financial Advisors. All right. And we're back. So it seems kind of silly to say what is health insurance, but I mean, <laughs> let's define it. Let's define I mean, for, it. You know, sometimes there's I was a little ignorant to it before I got in. I mean, know, it's really a, into it. So it's a whole thing. So 
ironically, I have family members that work for insurance companies and it's it's technical, you it know, is th- so technical. Every time there's anything related to insurance, just the, the way they operate, you know, anything. I'm and just, we are specifically talking about medical insurance. We're talking today. about medical yeah. insurance, but I'm saying generally speaking, insurance is such a complicated yeah. system and it's really my perfect nightmare. But health insurance is, you know, medical insurance or healthcare insurance. And it's it's insurance that covers a portion of your medical costs. So how much the insurance covers and how much you pay really depends on the policy that Mm -hmm. you have. So if you don't have health insurance and you end up needing medical care, you can be left with insurmountable medical bills or face situations in which certain providers refuse to treat you. And so like really the only way, like if you're uninsured that you can get screening and stabilization is in a hospital emergency department. You know, if you have something like traumatic happen or Mm -hmm. acute or even not. I mean, that's the problem right now is emergency rooms are being used as doctor's offices. Totally. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For people who don't have coverage. So they have to treat you to some extent. But other than that, it's up to the provider as to whether or not to treat you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you got to figure out how to pay for it. So there's a couple different types of coverage in the U.S. So there's public coverage. So this could be anything like Medicare, Medicaid. These are usually government funded Mm -hmm. programs. And you kind of have to apply for them and then they kind of choose whether you qualify. And then there's private coverage. So this is if you've got insurance that is coming through an employer or if you yourself have has gone on to, is it still the marketplace now where you go on and you sign up for insurance? And this could be, this could look like a family plan or maybe an individual plan. Right. Yep. So how are insurance companies regulated? <laughs> Do we think that they are? I don't. I don't. In my experiences with health insurance companies and their practices, their business practices, I don't think they're well regulated. So they're supposed to be regulated at both the state and the federal level. So in each state, there's an insurance commissioner and insurance department that oversees state regulated coverage. And at the federal level, it's supposed to be the Department of Health and Human Services. I think there's like the Center for Medicare and Medicaid, the Department of Labor and the Department of the Treasury oversee compliance. I mean, this is probably why it's so confusing because there's probably just so there's so oh, many opportunities you, for oversight. And you know, it's like, such a bureaucratic nightmare. Y- yeah. I mean, I can imagine even from the insurance company standpoint of view, I bet it's just like, I mean, just can you imagine the eye roll every time it's like, oh, there's another we're other, up for another review or, you know, whatever. It's just it's got to be. Hard. I mean, here here's the thing. we've all been in that situation where we've requested medical care deemed necessary by our doctor. The insurance companies deny it. And we'll get into how they kind of manipulate, Mm -hmm. how they use these practices to deny care that your doctor thinks is important. We're going to get into that later in in the show. But I think the part that really frustrates me in my firsthand experience is that Let's say they deny it. Then they put you through this process. Oh, well, you can just go through our appeals process. But they're constantly changing the goalpost, right? Mm -hmm. So the rules are always changing. Oh, now that you've done the appeals process, now you have to do this. Or, oh, we're going to renege on coverage that we originally said we would cover. Now Mm -hmm. we're saying we won't. Now we have to do this. We have to do that. And, And their whole intent behind this is not to follow some sort of process to make sure you get an adequate, you know, look. It's to discourage you from pursuing the claim so that you will drop it. Yeah. And then they don't have to pay for it. Yeah. So they participate in these really unethical practices of just constantly chasing, you know, making you chase your tail. They put these doctor's offices through hell Mm -hmm. trying to get things covered for their patients. And they just know that eventually people are going to get exhausted and drop it. Yeah. Which seems super unfair considering it's like, 
you've paid to have this insurance and now you are working for them. Sure. Trying to do all this paperwork. and yeah, blah, 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 But yeah. their whole goal is to save as much money as, as possible, possible, not yeah. to give you the best care. And I actually had a situation where they had told me, okay, yes, you can go out of network because the provider that you're seeking care from is the only one to do this procedure. Then at, they approved it. Mm-hmm. Then they came back and wanted to save money. So they reneged on it. Mm-hmm. When I asked them for the reason, they wouldn't give me one. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, I actually got a hold of the clinical nurse who made this determination. She was a newer manager and wanted to make her mark and save the department money. And when I talked to her about it, she she flat out told me, like, our job is not to give you the best medical care. Our job is to give you the care that, you know, basically we want you to pay for. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, that hurts. Well, no, I appreciate the fact that she's at least honest about it. Totally. Yeah. It's not about the best care. It's about how much money can we save by sending you to somebody subpar. And at least she had the guts to say it. The problem is, is that there's no ramifications for that. Yeah. So she's she's getting awards, right, and promoted for saving yeah. the department money. Meanwhile, people who need care are not getting what they need. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to talk about how do they determine our care? What are the ways that they kind of circumvent the system that's in place? But before we do that, you want to do boobs in the news? I do. Okay. <laughs> boobs in the news is a fun segment where we read funny tweets by real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Okay. Are you ready for this one? This one's kind of a short one, but I thought it, I thought it will spark it will spark a little bit of a discussion for oh, sure. Okay, let's discuss. Okay, okay. So the title of this, I mean, and the title pretty much gives it all away. So it's going to be like the the major punchline, but I think it'll be in in speaking through kind of how or why they got to this will be interesting. Okay, so the title is "Pizza Shop Goes Viral," which oh my gosh, they went viral now they're oh, famous boy. after putting up a sign that said "Now Hiring Non Stupid People." Oh, yeah. I feel like businesses have been doing this. Yes. So I kind of thought like, oh, they must have had a background of hiring people and then they left or they made mistakes or and it was like costing the pizza shop a lot of money. Sure. Yeah, me too. Not the case. Well, kind of. So this pizza shop in Ohio was specifically sliced its way into virality, which is, I think, a funny word. Thanks to specifically... Virality. 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 I feel like it's the word. Yes, continue. Virality. Virality. Yeah. When it announced it was seeking new employees. So this shop posted the sign that said now hiring non-stupid people, which I can imagine people probably got offended. (laughs) Oh, boo-hoo. People get offended easy these days. The the local in-person response to the viral sign has been largely positive, actually, however. So one person responded to the sign's presence by calling it in a fake order totaling more than $100. And then the shop's Facebook page kind of came out and said they confirmed that they ultimately donated the pizzas. So a little part of me is wondering if they did this as a ploy to just kind of go viral to up the sales of the pizzas. Oh, yeah. 100%. So I'm confused. You, so, said, you said that somebody like put in a fake order. They put in a fake order of over $100 and then they ended up donating the pizza. So I so what I think is happening here is they posted this to maybe get famous And then the shop comes out and they said it was all supposed to be a a joke in response to what was described as an as employment struggles. So they put it up as a joke. But I think that a little part of them was trying to boost sales and trying to to go viral with their pizza shop, which seems a little silly. I mean, I think this just speaks to the frustration of business owners right now. Totally. It's so hard to be in business right now. Mm -hmm. There's a huge labor shortage. And then on top of it, to their point, there's an issue with work ethic and people actually wanting to do the job. I think that there's other ways to go about this. No, I agree. (laughs) I think it was a passive aggressive 
hey, don't waste my time anymore. I'm right. done. I'm sick of yeah. it. You know, yeah. and if it happens to go viral, great. Yeah. People are just fed up. They're looking yeah. for an outlet to express their frustration. Unfortunately, to your point, I don't know that that's super no. productive. No. But yeah, I just think that this is just a, a ramification of how hard it is to be in business these days. And yeah. the issue that it takes to find yeah. willing and able bodies to right. to slice some pizza, folks. I know. I know. Right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, so who's the boob in this? I mean, I don't know. I can't tell if, if the boob is the person who was like, oh, we're going to do this and put up the sign. Or if it's the people who are like, we this needs to go viral and continue to share it. I don't know if this is like a, <laughs> an, uh, a parallel, but it made me it just popped into my head. So here's the problem when you own a business and you've been burned by employees before. Right. Mm-hmm. When you've been burned over and over again by bad employees, <laughs> you start to assume the worst. Mm hmm in all prospective prospects and your in your current employees who haven't done anything to earn that disrespect, right? So I actually had this happen early in my career. I worked for this company and I was killing it. Like I was doing really, really well with them. And I thought we had a really good relationship and everybody was making money, which is usually like the, you know, everybody's happy. But they used to cut me checks for my expenses, my expense checks. Uh-huh. And they apparently cut me a check and put it on my desk. And my desk is always organized chaos. So I had lots of piles. True story. Yeah, I had lots of piles. Well, the check was under a pile and I didn't see it. So I brought it up. I was like, hey, you know, I haven't seen my expense check. Just wondering if I could get that done. And they came at me like I had stolen the check and I wanted another, which is oh. crazy because you have to cash it and they right. would be able to see that. Yeah. But I immediately was just like shocked that they went there. I was yeah. like, when have I ever given you any cause for thinking that I would try to pull something shady yeah. like that? But yeah. it was because they had had all these previous experiences with mm-hmm. some really bad characters mm-hmm. that they just jumped to the worst possible conclusion with me. And I'll be honest with you, it soiled me on the company from then Aww, forward. Yeah. Like they didn't apologize. They kind of just brushed it under the rug. Yeah. And I I think if they would have come and said, hey, I'm really sorry, that was totally uncalled mm-hmm. for and unfair and blah, blah, blah. They didn't. And I let I thought I let it go. But really, it plants that seed of like, yeah. you don't trust me, you don't appreciate me. And I didn't end up staying there for those reasons. I just didn't feel like they had my back. So all that to say that I'm sure these people got burned a million times. Mm-hmm. And this was their way of just being like, we've had it. But you can't approach people with the assumption that they're going to be a, right, you have to a POS. A, 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 yeah, assume right? positive intent with everybody. That, yeah, well, like, and I mean, you, you just said our buzzword of faith through fire. Yeah. Assume positive intent, yeah. right? Like yeah. we tell people that all the time. Like do not come at people assuming the worst about them. That is, you know, not a good approach. So yeah. I'm going to say the boob is the shop owner. Yeah. Oh, yes. I yeah, agree. Sure. Okay, yep. there you go. There's yeah. your boobs. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. And we're back. So let's talk about how the health companies or the insurance companies are dictating our care. I did my own research, but I also came across this article by U.S. News where they gave the most common ways that insurance companies meddle with your care to cut costs. So the first thing they do is they question your doctor's orders, right? Like mm-hmm. you have this personal relationship with your doctor. They're caring for you. They're mm-hmm. they're deciding, you know, what they think you need. Mm-hmm. So they go ahead and put in an order and they submit it to your insurance. And then your insurance company will use a practice called prior authorization. And they do this to avoid paying for a specific treatment or medication. So this process is lengthy and obnoxious. And it requires your doctor to request approval from the insurance company. 
Which seems silly because the insurance company is not the ones who have a doctor, like a doctor degree, a a medical degree. Oh, no, they'll claim they do. So that was my experience is that I was seeking treatment for my lymphedema. The nurse was like, I am a nurse and you don't need this. And I'm like, well, what's your experience with lymphedema? Absolutely zero. She knew nothing about the disease, knew nothing about the treatments, knew nothing Mm -hmm. about what was out there or what Mm -hmm. was available. Nothing. And when I pointed this out, that she's making decisions about my care with absolutely zero medical experience in this field, you know, it was not received well. Yeah. And yet still true. So basically this bogs the doctors and patients down and makes additional tasks and prolongs the appeals process again in in the hopes that you'll give up. Can you imagine like, no, I think you're a doctor and you... You know, like historically, when you recommend that a patient have a certain treatment and they know that they're going to have to fight the insurance about it. Can you imagine like the thought process that's going to go in their brain? Like, I want to recommend this treatment to this patient, but now I'm worried I'm going to end up having to spend time on that. Oh, yeah. Their staff is going to spend time. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what happened with me related to the breast cancer journey. So when I needed radiation, they the doctor asked if I could get proton therapy, which Mm -hmm. is a type of radiation treatment that is easier on the heart. My Mm -hmm. my cancer was on the side of my heart. So they requested that I get proton therapy. The insurance company denied it, saying Mm -hmm. it wasn't medically necessary. And I, at the time, did not know to sit there and push with my doctor's Mm -hmm. office. Like, you keep pushing for this until we get proton therapy. That's my heart. I should have done that. I was so traumatized and had no idea what was happening. So I was just like, oh, I got denied. And they're like, well, you'll just have regular radiation, which is what I ended up having. Having Now, proton therapy is the standard of care for all breast cancer Mm -hmm. patients. So other patients after me now have gotten, you know, potentially heart-saving radiation treatments, whereas I was denied that care because my insurance company deemed it not medically necessary. And the question is, if I develop heart issues down the road, do they have any culpability for that denial? Mm -hmm. My guess is no. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff you're dealing with. And you know what? So my, my, I'll share my little bit of pushback story. So when I went to go have, when I was pregnant with Henley, my second, I went to go fight to have an out-of-hospital birth. And insurance insurance was really weird because I worked at the birth center. So we saw like lots of women come in and get it covered by insurance. And then we what what was so weird is that like sometimes it would get covered and sometimes it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that I think I learned from all that is when you when you're trying for a, an option of treatment that isn't always available or isn't always necessarily it's not like the standard of care. They sometimes you can get it covered, sometimes you won't. It, it literally depended on the day that and we called that and the get. person that you talked mm-hmm. to, which sucks because. But it's also kind of hopeful because y- you know we're if somebody got denied, we're like just try again tomorrow. Well, <laughs> but it's annoying. It is annoying. And my question is, is if you get denied and you ask the insurance company to be transparent and to show how many other patients of your same disease state, age, physical, you know, history had gotten it approved, they won't share that. No. They, they do. Not. So that's another interesting point. When I was when I've been going through my health journey and I've dealt with the insurance companies, they provide no notes. Mm-hmm. They don't keep notes. They won't provide notes. The doctor's office has to keep meticulous notes mm-hmm. because the insurance company doesn't want a trail mm-hmm. of what they've done. Mm-hmm. So there's no notes. So I would routinely say, could you give me all of your you know, all of the documentation on our interaction of everything that has happened since the day that we filed this claim and they will not give it to you. Yeah. So it's completely, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, they have to be your own lawyer. They are there to protect their company and their (laughs) best interests and their money and they don't care. And so, you know, so that's the first thing, right? Prior authorization, questioning your doctor's order, delaying effective treatments. So the, this is like, 
comes in the form of what we call step therapy or fail first policies. So, you know, the insurance companies will say, well, before you can get the drug that we that Mm -hmm. your doctor thinks will work, you have to try a cheaper drug. The insurer will only cover the medication prescribed by your doctor after the first drug fails to improve your condition. This basically means that the insurance company can force patients to take medications that don't work for months before agreeing to cover the treatment that the doctor originally prescribed. So and then if the patient has already failed first on other therapies and then they change their insurance, you have to go all the way back and do the process all over again. So I had a procedure that was approved through one insurance company. Then my husband took a new job. We got different insurance company, and guess what? They denied it, and we had to mm-hmm. start all over. We lost an entire year of our lives mm-hmm. because we had you to You see this in orthopedic care a lot, too, where they'll say, we won't cover an MRI, or we won't cover surgery, we won't cover this until you do so many PT sessions right. or until sure. you do so many whatever. So, you know, that comes up a lot, too. Yeah. Which, which sometimes means, like, I mean, I have two friends right now who are in the middle of PT, and they're like, I, I can't go garden, I can't go do the things I like because I've got to get through my eight PT sessions, that, and the pain is getting worse. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's two sides of that coin, though, to be fair, right? Is yeah. that, you know, do you, if it's not life-threatening, do you try holistic measures before you jump to a knife? Yes. I mean, I, I totally get that. It's just that trying to... You know, sometimes when if your doctor knows, though, that PT isn't going to fix it and it's something right, that exactly. requires surgery, that's when you have to trust your doctor. You know, where's the evidence when she's like when somebody says, I've been going to PT and I've gone through four sessions and my pain is getting worse and I'm I'm losing more that I can Mobility. do at home mm-hmm. or more of this, more of mm-hmm. that. Can we get some answers now? And he's like, no, insurance won't cover your MRI until you've done eight PT sessions. And it's like, OK, well, I guess I will bear it through, you know, well, and or, you're you paying know, for that. Right. Exactly. So, so think about that. You're, pay- you're paying that twice, right? You're paying yeah. for PT, then you're paying for the surgery. Yeah. And that's the other thing. The unintended consequences of that is that you're paying for more treatment. Correct. So it's interesting. Excluding medications. So more and more insurance is refusing to cover certain medications that they deem too pricey or unnecessary. So they'll put these medications on formulary exclusion lists. And these are usually these lists are like pharmacy benefit managers. So these exclusion lists are growing more and more and more. And essentially, it's it's all about it's like a profit seeking motive, right? So behind these formulary restrictions, because there are rebates from the pharmaceutical manufacturers, which go directly to the insurers or pharmacy benefit managers, bottom line. So if a manufacturer doesn't offer a big enough rebate or incentive to the pharmacy benefit manager, then that drug always seems to get on the formulary Mm, exclusion list. You know what I mean? So it's a pay to play. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're not getting a big enough discount, guess what? Now all of a sudden your drug's not going to get covered. So, you know, a lot of people will be on a medication that works amazing for you. And all of a sudden they tell you that you have to switch to a similar medication for a non-medical reason. So I, I saw there was a 2016 survey that found more than two thirds of patients in Tennessee with chronic disease had been forced by their insurer to switch medications. Ninety five percent said the switch caused their symptoms to worsen. Mm. And 68 percent said that they had to try multiple new medications before finding one that worked. So, you know. We had that with my son. My son was on a medication for ADD that worked really well for him. And all of a sudden insurance was like, nope, we don't want you on that anymore. We're going to make you switch to this cheaper formulation. And it totally didn't Mm -hmm. work. It was terrible. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't go back to the other one because guess what? Now all of a sudden to stay on it, if it wasn't covered by insurance. of dollars. Oh, no. It was like like $800 a month. Oh, geez. So that's the position that they put you in, Mm -hmm. you know, when you found something that works and then they make you change. Basically, the another thing is just low reimbursement rates, especially when it comes to mental health. 
That's why a leading number of therapists don't take insurance anymore. We have a therapist that we refer to, and she stopped working with a specific insurance company because they're such a nightmare. They never reimburse. They Mm -hmm. don't see the value in mental health care for their patients, which as an insurance company, Mm -hmm. they should be on the forefront of mental health care. I think reimbursement rates is something... I mean, it should be a whole its own little podcast because I felt I felt so bad seeing how much my plastic surgeon made off of my two surgeries. One was like six hours and, you know, and the multiple follow up appointments that I had. And just to see the amount that on my EOB explanation of benefits to see the amount that he actually made from it. I was like, that is sickeningly sad. For your plastics? Yeah. But we're talking about we're talking about mental health care. I mean, we're talking about mental health care, but we're talking about reimbursements rate, reimbursement rates in general. I oh, just think sure. when you really sit down and look at some of the things that and then and then to compare that to what they actually bill and to what, you know, it's it's sad. Well, the insurance companies will claim that these providers are inflating their costs. Yes. And so they inflate the, but they inflate it's a, it's a never-ending cycle. They inflate like the their costs cost so because they get more from because insurance. they know be, to get the minimum that they need to survive in their practice. Yeah. So it's kind of like when you submit the expense report for the mileage mm-hmm. and you inflate your mileage just so you can cover the cost of your gas. Mm-hmm. It's like you do that because the going rate for mileage reimbursement doesn't cover or reflect the gas price. Yeah. And so the, the the doctor's offices are doing the same thing. They're submitting costs that are inflated just mm-hmm. to get the bare yeah. minimum that they need to survive. It's so sad. if everybody wants to be transparent and these insurance companies start paying people what they're worth, then we probably wouldn't have that. So the cycle just keeps continuing. I you mean, know? or we're going to continue to move towards this. No one's going to take in insurance. Well, and that's that's where, yeah, that's why I brought up the mental health because that's where I see it the most. Yeah. And so the mental health therapists that do still take insurance have incredibly long waiting lists. Mm-hmm. The other ones that don't take it are only dealing with a certain portion of the population that can afford $250 an hour. But I ask you this and like I feel like I ask most people this if they're thinking about going to see a mental health therapist is like, do you want to do you want somebody? I mean, and they're all good, even the ones who take insurance and not. But like I would rather have somebody who is really like going to be able to be focused on what's happening with me mentally and physically and and everything, the whole picture, rather than somebody who's sitting there wondering how they're going to keep their lights on in their office because they are trying to figure out insurance and going through the whole cycle of trying to just get any kind of reimbursement. I mean, yeah, but the bigger point is you're you paying can, for insurance well, and no. you cannot use it. Well, yeah, that yeah. I mean, but also it's like, you know, can you afford to go to a therapist who doesn't take insurance? Most people yeah. cannot. Yeah. You know, you, therapy is not something you go to one and done. No, it is not. <laughs> it's usually no. a journey. Yeah. And so it makes me, you know, we're right now in a mental health crisis in this country. It's pretty much everybody's agreed to that. And the mental health therapists are walking away from insurance. Right. (laughs) Because it's a nightmare and they make it so hard and they don't prioritize mental health, which is our whole field of specialty. Right. We're constantly preaching that. So before we kind of talk about what you can do if you find yourself in these circumstances, let's hear from our second sponsor. It's important to have a primary care doctor that you can count on. At BJC Healthcare, world-class and compassionate primary care providers are ready to see you at offices close to home. And you can count on BJC to make it easy with convenient online scheduling, virtual visits, and direct messaging. To find a BJC primary care provider near you and to schedule an appointment online, visit bjc.org forward slash primary care. Okay, so we're back. What can you do, right? First of all, make sure your office takes the time to do the prior auth and go through the appeals process if it gets denied. Often, Sarah and I see patients feeling rushed to get Mm -hmm. treatments like they're going to die tomorrow. And and that's really scary. And when you're traumatized, you just want to keep the process moving. Waiting is really hard. 
but take can the time. but take yeah. the time to really advocate for yourself and ask the doctor's office have you done everything possible i'm not moving forward until you get this approved and here's why i feel this way and really make them do the work it sucks because i feel bad for the offices but nobody's going to care about your health more than you and there's a lot of people in your corner too you have to remember that like if, especially if you're through a private plan you can get hr involved you can call the insurance companies yourself and call them daily um, yeah so you know, that i was get gonna the, get the medical offices on in board on board and just start yep. everybody behind yeah. you. Yeah. Don't give up. I'll tell you too, I've got down on here, contact your employer. If your health insurance is through your employer. So we did this. We were running into unethical business practices with our insurer, insurance company. And we tried to handle it ourselves. And after a year and a half of dealing with this and them not being transparent and not, you know, participating in ethical business practices, we got my husband's employer involved. And we're like, look, here's what's going on. Here's the documentation we have. They got involved. It got resolved. So and just for anybody who doesn't really understand how that works like that, the employer pays for the employees to have that benefits. Mm -hmm. And so if the employees are not happy, then really the customer who is, you know, the upline customer is the employer and the employer is giving money to that insurance company. And so they can kind of go and speak on your behalf like, hey, they don't have to they don't have to renew with that insurance. Right. 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 Exactly. So that insurance contract, it's a relationship that they're trying to keep. Yeah. That insurance company then is at risk of losing their business. And if they're a big company, which my husband's is, you know, they, they want to keep them happy to my husband's employer's credit. They didn't have to get involved. Right. And so that's indicative of a good employer. Mm. You may find that your employer's like, I don't care. Right. Mm-hmm. Their job, the insurance company's job is to save our company money. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing. We don't care. Mm-hmm. But you don't know until you ask. Right. So get your employer involved. You can write to an executive at the insurance company. I have my doubts as to how effective that would be, but mm-hmm. you can at least put it in writing. You can also ask a third party to help with the dispute. It's called like a, do you know how, ombudsman? Ombuds oh, never heard that. Yeah, it's an official appointed to investigate like individuals' complaints against maladministration. So, like, I guess it's an actual profession, and it's O M B U D S M A N. You can file a complaint with your state department of insurance, which regulates insurance activity and insurance and compliance. You can seek arbitration if that's an option in your policy. So check that. And then lastly, you can file a legal claim against the insurer in court. So, but you want to exhaust be the pricey one. <laughs> that's going to be the pricey, lengthy one. And so you really want to make sure that you try all the other things first. So, yeah. What do you What do you think we want to leave people with here? This is part of our medical skepticism I mean, series, I, right? So I feel like just like with every other aspect of your healthcare, it's like don't just. If you feel strongly about something, about a therapy or about a part of your treatment that you really want to make sure that you are able to take advantage of, like be an advocate for yourself. Don't let it die on the vine if you get a denial or, Mm -hmm. you know, exhaust all possibilities, you know, before you throw in the towel. Which feels so sad because here you are traumatized, Mm -hmm. you're scared, you're, you know, you're being, you have to make all these decisions very quickly. Your doctors are really pushing you to move forward with treatment and- it's not fair that you then have to fight your insurance company too. Yeah. But it is what it is, people. You got to yeah. advocate for yourself and do not let them push you around. Yeah. All right, guys. Until next time. See ya. Thank you for being a listener of the Besties with Breasties podcast. If this podcast had a positive impact on your journey, leave us a review or consider becoming a supporter. You can donate with the link in the show notes or at faiththroughfire.org. This episode was hosted by Sarah Hall and Beth Wilmus, audio and production edits by Innovative Frequencies.